We have worshipped God in the glory of his awesomeness. He has revealed himself to us in what he has made, what he has done in creation, in Jesus Christ preeminently. He has done so much, and we believe much. And so, as a continued act of worship this morning, let's declare through the Apostles' Creed what it is exactly that we believe together. Christian, what do you believe together? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray together. Our great God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have we have sung praise and worship to your name today. And so richly do you deserve anything positive that comes out of our mouth. You, you are the great and glorious and awesome God of the universe. There is only one God. And Lord, we come into your presence today as your people who know that you have called us by, by your spirit, that you approached us before we wanted anything to do with you that you opened our eyes, that you led us to the end of ourselves, that you showed us the truth that is found in Jesus Christ, who he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. And as your people, we come and we worship, we give you praise. We've lifted up your attributes, Lord, as we've seen in this series that we've been doing, as we've been seeking to experience your awesomeness. And we pray this morning that that what happens now as we look into your holy word is that you, by your spirit, would show up in a powerful way. We pray that you would take the truths that we know, the realities that are in scripture, the things that we have come to believe and build our life upon, and we pray that they would become living, breathing realities to us every day of our life. That, Lord, you would take this time with you and with one another and that you would drive it deeper into our experience. Take the truths in our head and move them into our hearts. And then out in the way we relate to one another and in the life that we live in this world. And so to that end, we pray that, Lord, you would be here. We pray for the one who teaches that you'd forgive him his sins. Use one who is finite to communicate your infinite truth. You be the teacher, for we have come to see Jesus today. For we pray in his holy name. Amen. You may be seated. I wasn't raised declaring the Apostles' Creed or declaring faith. I was raised in an environment, in a worship environment, where we got together, we sang hymns, we did church. But we didn't declare our faith like that, and I've come to love that and believe in that in a powerful, powerful way. And after you now have declared your faith, let me ask you the question, do you believe all that? Yes. I do too. 
Do you believe all that? I do. I do. Yes, I do. I do. I do. I believe all of that. And I believe more. I mean, listen, I'm a Presbyterian minister. We believe the Westminster Confession of Faith. All 33 chapters of it, for crying out loud, and the scriptures that support all that. I believe it. I do. I really do. And yet I live in such a distracted day and age. You do too. We live in a distracted age. It's kind of like my boxer, Jake. He was so distracted all the time. He loved people. He was always moving around. Jake, shiny thing, shiny thing. He was always moving around. We live in that kind of an age. By the way, I think the dog you select may reflect your temperament. I'm just saying. I uh, did in my case. Uh, my dog reflected my temperament. If you have cats, well, cats don't have owners. They have staff. So there it is. Uh, but... But, but we live in such a distracted age that to focus on God uh, and have that make a difference in our life every day in our life is, 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 is crazy. I, uh, God is self-existent. We've talked about the self-existence of God, haven't we, in this series? I believe that God is self-existent. That means that he has no beginning. He has no end. Uh, he is the source of all of his being. And yet sometimes because I'm so distracted, I'm more focused on my existence and God's self-existence. I believe that God is omnipotent. We've declared that today. I believe that God is almighty, all-powerful. And yet what I want is power myself. You face that? I want to be in control. I'm so distracted by that. God is omnipresent. God fills our space. And yet the reality is my cell phone, which is right here, never leaves my face is in my cell phone. My face is in my computer screen. My face is, I'm distracted by all of that. Yes, God is omnipresent. He fills my space, but so often I don't even think about that. God is unchangeable. I love that. God is immutable. I'm mutable. God's immutable. Uh, but the reality is my culture, our culture is constantly call us to change and morph and mutate to what they want us to be, to be made in their image. And so as we think about the reality of God, uh, he has revealed himself to us. Uh, and we know all these things and we need to know all these things, but we live in such a distracted age. Do they make a difference when we leave here? Yes. But they... But it's hard to keep that focus on the God who is. And that's why this verse in Romans 1.20 is such a powerful verse. Uh, Romans 1.20, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that are made, so they are without excuse. I need God all the time. Because I'm so distracted by everything else. Tom Rainer, church growth expert, wrote an article not too long ago talking about the decline in numbers of people that are attending church in America today. About 350,000 churches in America. And attendance is trending down. But you know what the number one focus, uh, why it's trending down? Is because those who are committed Christians are coming less to church. That's why, that's why our church attendance is down. And that's not guilt. I'm not trying to lay guilt on you. You're here, for crying out loud. You get three free sins just for being here today. Uh, but, so this is not a guilt thing. But, but the reality is we are, we are attending, as a, as a body of believers across the United States, we're attending church less. When we need it, arguably most. I need it. I need it every, I need it every week. Boy, to be able to come, I come here early. You're not, you're not as spiritual as I am. I'm here at, at, at 
kidding. I'm kidding. That's a joke. I was here. I, I love to hear the choir rehearse. I, I worship team. <laughs> Throwback. I love to, I love to sit there and I need to enter in because I got, I've got a shift. And this weekend we've been taking care of our grandkids. And I said, Oh, my wife isn't even here today. She's in grad kid purgatory right now. <laughs> Man, I said, my, my kids are better than yours. After all this time, it may not be true. I want you to know. And, and I need to come back to the God who is Douglas Copeland in his book, Generation X, a few years ago, said, said this, that he's got to the end of telling his story about his life. He said, my secret is that I need God, that I am sick and I can no longer make it alone. I need God to help me give because I no longer seem to be capable of giving. To help me be kind as I no longer seem capable of kindness. To help me love as I seem beyond being able to love. That resonates with me. I, I, I need God every day. I don't need, I don't need as many people in my life. I need God in my life. I don't need actors in my life. I need God in my life. I need the God of the Bible in my life. I don't need politicians. I need God in my life. Speaking of actors, is a TV show uh, that my daughter got me hooked on. It's her fault. And uh, it, it, it's called The Man in the High Castle. Some of you have seen some of that. And I, I really like two characters in that in particular. The Man in the High Castle and uh, John Smith. Obergruppenfuhrer Ober John Smith. And you're looking at me going, what? I know, it's weird. Don't go watch it. Try not to go watch it. But I love those two guys because they call the shots. And everything they do comes, it works. They, they both are in charge of, I love the power. But I don't have that power. I can't foresee the future. I can't plan it. I don't need a God who is in process of becoming. And uh, I need a God who never changes. How about you? This is the God we worship and the God we need every day of our life. The God who is high and holy and lifted up. Some theologians would say that if you were to take all of the attributes and perfections of God and you were to put them all together, one would bubble to the top and that would be the holiness of God. I've never found theologians to agree on anything and they don't agree on this point, but the holiness of God is certainly central. It's the Hebrew word kodesh, and the root idea is separation. So we think of the holiness of God. He is not one of us. If we think that he is uh, just sort of a grandpa with gray hair who's managed to, that's me for crying out loud. And that's, I'm not that. God is high and holy and lifted up and totally other than we are. Uh, and in Exodus chapter 3, we see uh, a, a powerful example of Moses encountering the holiness of God. And I, I, we're going to look at these scriptures, uh, two in particular, Exodus 3 and Isaiah 6, familiar verses to you if you've been around the block a few years. But take a look at Exodus 3 verses 1 through 9, because I want you to see how Moses experienced the holiness of God. 
Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked. Behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Let's talk about experiencing the holiness of God because what Moses did here in this situation was experience the holiness of God. Notice he didn't just have an intellectual uh, encounter with the holiness of God. He didn't learn about the holiness of God in philosophy 101. He didn't get this secondhand uh, by someone saying, hey, let me tell you about God. Let's talk about God. Do you know he's holy? What's that mean? Well, it means he's separate, high, and lifted up. No, he didn't get any of that. He experienced it. He experienced the holiness of God by his encounter with God himself. Now, this is the passage, the first passage in the entire Bible where the word Kodesh or holy is, is used, but Moses was not the first one to experience the holiness of God. Who were the first two people to experience the holiness of God? Well, we know, right? Adam and Eve experienced the holiness of God. And so they came to understand and see God. And as Moses experienced God in this text, he saw that God was omnipresent. God was everywhere. That God was omniscient. It must not have been a small bush because he had to turn aside to get to it. So the impression we get from the text of scripture is that he saw it, it must have been a larger bush on fire and he came over and saw it. And then when God speaks to him, isn't that great? God can speak. God can speak all kinds of languages. Hebrew. What's the language of heaven? Theologians say Hebrew. I don't know. Jews Jews say Hebrew. Well, of course. He speaks English, speaks Spanish, speaks French. I love that. Speaks a lot. Genesis 16, 13, Hagar when she was rescued by God, uh, said, you're the God who sees. El Roy, you're the God who sees. Of course, he's everywhere. He sees everything. He fills our space. He's involved. He's faithful. He's, he's a loving, loving God. Like I said earlier, I love the reality of the power of God. He's omnipotent. I love power. I, I saw a movie the other day. Some of you are saying, you watch a lot of TV. No, 
I do it because I preach and teach and I have to know what our culture is talking about and thinking about. <laughs> but I saw a movie the other day, uh, seven, uh, seven Days of Entebbe in the 1970s when the Israelis, uh, uh, there's 80 Israelis on, on, on board an airplane uh, that was uh, hijacked. 250 people hijacked, went to Uganda. And the uh, Israelis then, some of you have read, there been multiple movies out on this. This is the latest uh, uh, rendition of it. It's absolutely incredible, the power of the Israelis. I love Yitzhak Rabin, who was prime minister at the time, is, is, is talking to Shimon Peres, his defense minister, who wants to go uh, rescue the people. And so Yitzhak Rabin says to Shimon Peres, he says, so you want to invade Uganda? Shimon Peres says, well, we will give it back to them when we leave. <laughs> I love that line. I love the power. But the more I look at the attributes of God and uh, uh, the longer I walk with him, what I am amazed about is not only God's sovereign power, but how coupled with his sovereign power is his incredible, infinite love. And this is something we must keep in mind all the time because of the things that we go through as God's people living in a broken world where we suffer and suffer and suffer. And that is God is all-powerful and God is all-loving. And those two always work together. We don't always know how, but we must keep them together. God speaks to Moses. When he speaks to Moses, he says, take off. Take off your shoes, take off your sandals, for the ground on which you're standing is what? Holy, holy, Kodesh. If you look in the Bible, you see that the word holy is used in at least 20 different cases. I'm going to give them to you. There's holy ground, holy Sabbath, a holy place. There's holy linen. There's holy tithe. There's a holy censer. There's holy bread, holy seed, holy covenant, holy convocation or gathering. There's a holy nation. There's a holy anointing oil, holy jubilee, holy field, holy water, holy ark, holy city, holy word, holy ones, and the holy of holies. There'll be a test on this before you can leave. All these so many people, places, things that are holy. But they're only holy in reference to what? God. These things are not holy in themselves. They are not set apart. They are not totally other by themselves. They are only transformed and become holy because God is present with them. God is the only one who is holy in himself, in all of the universe. And because he is holy, he's righteous. Because he is high and set apart, he is righteous. In Moses' song in Exodus 15, right after the Exodus, I love this. Uh, Moses sings this song. I'd like to, I would like to hear this when I get to heaven. Moses, sing that for me, will you? Who is like thee among the gods, O Lord? Who is like thee, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? Who is like thee? And the, and the expected answer of this rhetorical question is what? No one is like you. There's only one. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy, holy, holy. That's, 
that, that, that's how the Hebrew gets the point across by repetition. It's so important, completely, completely unique. There's another man who experienced the holiness of God in a very unique way about, about 850 years after Moses did Isaiah. And you're familiar with this one too. I love this text as well. Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew, and one called to, the, uh, to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. We sang that today. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. We see that Isaiah seeing the holiness of God has very similar responses. Moses seeing the holiness of God. They're absolutely come to the end of themselves. And this was written to Isaiah around 600 years before Christ was born. And Uzziah was the king of Israel at that point, and he had just died. And he was a good king, a relatively good king. But now this vision comes at a time when the king had died. And when the king had died, what, is that, what does that cause to a nation that had relative peace for a long period of time? Brings uncertainty. It brings the unknown. It brings the, oh no, what's going to happen now? And it's in that year that Isaiah is called to see this vision of God, to bring to the people of God the reality that God is bigger than the transitions that are taking place in, in, in Hebrew culture at that time. And God's majesty is seen. Holy, 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 the trisagion. That's the way that you communicate uh, things in Hebrew. Repetition. You know, have you ever thought about it? There's no other place in the Bible that says, uh, when it's speaking of God, love, love, love. Justice, justice, justice. Wrath, wrath, wrath. No, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the foundations of the temple shake. And Isaiah knows that he is absolutely undone. Just like Moses. Undone. Because he's a man of unclean lips, which means that he knows from his heart comes nothing good. So when he speaks, there's no perfection. Uh, there's sin that comes from him. Uh, and he says, woe is me or curse me. In Yiddish, it's oy vey. He's undone. And a question that comes uh, to me as I think about these two men, Moses and Isaiah, experience the holiness of God experiencing the holiness of God. The question comes, can we experience God in this way? Another question, should we experience God in this way? What do you think? Can we? I, I think we can. I think we should. I think the Bible is given for us to, 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 to be brought into the presence of God and not just to know facts about him, 
but to experience him. So yeah, I believe we should experience the holiness of God like we should experience all the other attributes of God. The question is, how do we do that? And the, the thing that gets in the way immediately as I think about that myself is, when I think of experiencing the holiness of God, I know that I get in the way of experiencing the holiness of God. Of experiencing God, I'm the, I'm the biggest factor that gets in the way. I, I, li- listen, I, you know, was it Os Guinness that said, the challenge is to live an examining life in an unexamined age. We live in a, a, a distracted age, an unexamining age, where we're running and gunning and moving so fast, and I know I'm the biggest problem. I've taken, I've taken all the tests you can take. I've taken uh, uh, the strength finders. You've taken that. How many of you take a strength finder? Okay, you know, you're, good, good, I see it. I'm an activator, which means I like action now. I don't believe anything's real until you act on it. But all the other ones are, flow with the fact that I'm a teacher. And so I just want to learn. I, you know, I, 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 I know my strengths. I know my weaknesses. Myers-Briggs, you've taken that. I'm an ENTJ. Uh, DISC, I'm an ID. I got myself figured out. I want you to know. Do you have yourself figured out? I realize this. I, I've taken every te- Taylor Johnson temperament analysis test. That's the first one I ever took. It just said, you need Jesus big time. You're a mess. <laughs> you know. So, I, you know, we figured, but I've realized that how I'm wired works against me experiencing God. Why? Action. Make it happen. Do it. And, that, and that's not how we experience God. One of the major truths of the gospel is that in Christ, we are set free from our sins and connected into a personal relationship with the God of the universe, but he's spirit. And so many of us, do you know what's getting in the way of you experiencing? Do you know your temperament enough? Do you know what gets, gets you in the way of experiencing God? I don't. But I know that I'm my worst enemy. And in the gospel, we are meant to not only know him intellectually, but to know him experientially. And I also think that, that, that when we read the books on how to experience God experientially enjoying God and feeling his presence. I was reading one of those books this week. I was just taken with the formulaic nature of it. A guy was talking about that. He started using language that was, I, you know, I'm not always biblically comfortable with. I'm going, that's formulaic. It's not real. It's just, I don't see it in the Bible. And so that's why I've struggled as a Presbyterian to understand and experience God. Because so much of the language that people tell me to experience, God isn't even found in the Bible. So get rid of the formulas. Forget that. Because they don't work. Understand what gets in the way of your growth. And experiencing God, if you can know yourself, take one of those tests. But, But we live in a culture that is militating against us in this way. This morning, on the way here, I got an, an email. I didn't read it while I was driving. I got, read it when I, when I got here. A friend of mine, Mike Zismer, sent it to me. Uh, and, and it's really a, a powerful email. Daniel amends uh, in, in his clinic 
shows that we live in a day and age where knowledge is increasing rapidly. Everybody can experience that, right? You know that we are. It is. It's just out there every day. And the young people, uh, you guys who are young, really young guys, male and female, you're getting knowledge all the time. Fast, rapid fire. A lot of the rest of us sit back and go, whoa, 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 slow down. But, but, but the studies are showing that those of you who are younger are managing to, to, to pick up that knowledge, to run with it, to assimilate it, to spit it back. But it's changing us. It's changing our minds. It's turning us from people who are thoughtful, deeper, reflective, into people who know how to process information quickly, like in a video game. To become people with minds like a fighter pilot. Great, if you're under combat conditions, you can get that data, change, shift, move, quick, good. But the culture is changing us into people that are not doing thoughtful experiencing of things at a deeper level. The man who wrote the article said, I think if Jesus came back today, he would still spend, he would still spend three years with 12 disciples and go deep. that they would experience him. See, one reason why the Gospels and, and why the Bible is so powerful is it's the written accounts of people who've experienced God. In the Old Testament, in the prophets, in the prophetic visions, the Bible is not a magical book, but the Bible is a spirit-given book. And so when we interact with this spirit-given book, with the Holy Spirit, more thoughtfully, with some time to process, what do you think the Spirit of God helps us do? Experience the God who acted in the past and still is acting in the present. If we understand what in our own self gets in the way of us experiencing God. And if we understand how our culture is trying to move us to rapid fire uh, data receivers and passer honors, we can slow down and get into the presence of God and use his God-given imagination to go deeply into the scriptures, to meditate there, and to focus so that God can bring to life. James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Isn't that amazing? There's a spiritual dynamic that takes place as we draw near to God in prayer and in his word. And when we spend time with God in that context, amazing thing happens. Rest happens. Joy happens. Transformation happens. The longer we're in the presence with a great God, what do you think that means for us? We become greater people. And if anything our culture needs is greater people. We need great people. The church needs great people. The church has produced great people in the past. John MacArthur's book, 12 Common Men. Boy, there aren't any more common men than you find in the Gospels. Ay, ay, vey. And yet, who changed the world? God did through these men and women. Um, experiencing the holiness. Let's talk briefly about uh, 
uh, about responding to the holiness of God because this kind of pulls it together for us. And, and then I'll, I'll leave you with one major application. The holiness of God, when, when we experience it, both Moses and Isaiah experienced the same thing. When they came into the presence of God, when they experienced him, it absolutely wrecked them, didn't it? It brought them to the end of them, themselves. It wrecked them. Uh, they had fear. They had trembling. Um, and, and, and one of the amazing things is they, they saw that they were nothing compared to God's everything. Uh, and, and that's as it should be. But you know, one of the side products that's really good here is that when you fear God and in his holiness, you fear people less. Proverbs twenty nine twenty five: the fear of man is a snare, but the one who trusts in the Lord, his way will be made straight. You see, when you fear God, you fear people less. That's a good thing. There's awe that comes out of here. And there's this compelling realization that Moses and Isaiah both felt, and that is, we ought to be like you. We, I can't be in your presence. I, I can't, I'm not good enough. And I ought to be like you. And in Leviticus, it says this, you shall be holy for I am holy. But we can't be that way. And so Isaiah said, woe unto me is I'm undone. Oy vey. And so what happens next? It's, it's absolutely amazing what happens next is that an angel, a seraphim takes one of the burning coals and he brings it over and he touches his lips with it. And what is that? What's the function of the burning coals and touching his lips and all that? It is, it was from an altar. What kind of an altar? An altar of sacrifice. Uh, what did the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament foretell? Well, they all spoke ahead to the sacrifice of Christ. Uh, what happened when Isaiah was touched uh, from the coal? He was cleansed. All of this is a foreshadowing, isn't it, of the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has come into this world and was a lamb of God who took away the sin of the world, who took our curse for us. He fulfilled the law for us. Uh, he took the punishment of God. He took hell for us. I love this. And what happens when you or I receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are forgiven. We are cleansed. We can come into the presence of the living God. And the law of God is put on our hearts. If you're not a Christian, you're here because a friend drug you here. We're glad you're here. This is the God we want you to know. The God who, though he is holy, 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 and all-powerful, is still the God of love who provides a way for redemption for us. That's why we're here. We're here because God has provided a free way to be cleansed, to be forgiven, to get a whole new life and to become redeveloped as people. Because in the presence of God, there's joy and forgiveness, but also transformation. And um, this is so good to come into the presence of God. And so there's some challenges. I guess really the big, biggest challenge here is to understand that we need people who do understand the Bible because we live in a day and age where there's by and large a great famine of, of biblical knowledge. We need people who understand what's Genesis to Revelation, what's going on in this whole Bible. But we don't need people who understand it just cognitively. We need, we need people that understand the scriptures as, as God's revealed a way of interacting with us through his Holy Spirit to make them come alive, that we can experience him as they experienced him, not in all the same ways, but in many of them, so that his power could flow through us. 
We need, we need people that are concerned for justice. I agree. And a lot of our, my millennial friends are saying, we need to pursue justice. And, and you baby boomers don't pursue enough. I know, we need to. But, but we need people who pursue justice, not because it feels good for me to pursue justice, but because we have met the holy God of the universe. What does Isaiah say? After he's cleansed, what does he say? When God says, who shall go for me? Isaiah says, here I am. Send me. Here I am. People who experience God then say, joy, forgiveness, power, transformation. Send me. Send me. Let me go. Um, uh, We need more men and women who like Isaiah, experiencing this. I want to be this way. I want to, I want to go out this way. Uh, are there applications? Sure, there's applications. I'm wrapping it up. Almost done. If you look at your watch, it looks like it's done. No, it's stopped. It's not. I'm just almost done. But guys, Orangewood, we, we've been going through a lot. In the last, you've been going through a lot in the last year. Last several months have been intense. And you haven't known a lot of information. You're going to be getting a great communication from the elders this week. There's been the need for confidentiality and processing things behind the scenes. And, and you have great elders. Trust me on that. You can trust them. You can trust, but you're going to be getting a communication from them. And it begs the question, what's going to happen in the future? It's just like Isaiah and the people during this time uh, experienced uh, when Uzziah died, what's going to happen now? God's going to happen now. The holy God of the universe is still large and in charge. He's still here. He's still working. Great things have happened in the last few months, and great things are going to continue to happen through this church. Stay the course. We don't have to be people that are afraid because we have a holy fear and respect of the God who is, who was, and is to come. The Almighty experience him. Put your effort at experiencing him. One time Abraham Lincoln went to a sermon and uh, uh, on a Sunday morning, walking back to the White House, his advisor was with him and said, well, what'd you think of the sermon? Wouldn't you hate it to have Abraham Lincoln sitting there and evaluating your sermon on the way back? I would. He said to his man, well, it was a great message, uh, taught the Bible, it was very, very good, but he didn't challenge us to do anything. So there's my challenge. Figure out what's getting in the way of you experiencing God. Temperament, you're too active, you're afraid. I don't know what it is. Take a test. Ask your spouse. They will tell you what you probably don't want to hear. Find out what gets it, what's getting in the way of you experiencing God. And come to him and say, Lord, take it out of the way. And then carve out some time. I'm going to follow every one of you this week. And find out if you've scheduled some time. To get before the God of the universe and focus on one of these passages. And say, Lord, help me to experience you. Activate my sanctified imagination. Speak to me. Let me be there when Moses walks to the bush and hears your voice. 
Let me be there as you, as Isaiah sees the seraphim in heaven. Because what really matters is not just what we know about him, but what we know and how it activates and how we can experience the God who wants to be experienced in the full range of who he is. You take it to heart. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for Orangewood, for these precious people who you have known before the foundation of the world, whom you have loved and led and cared for, and who you will never, you will never leave them nor forsake them. We thank you today that we can in the mystery of your holiness, kneel before you, thanking you for the cross of Jesus and how we have been included in your eternal plan. Would Lord, you be honored and glorified and lifted up in each of our minds and hearts this week. May we know you and experience you May you become more real to us in the coming week as we pray these things in the strong name of our risen Savior, Jesus. Amen.